Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to episode 135 of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Matt Lombardo, as always, and this week, once again, I'm joined by my good friend, the legendary Steve Politti. Steve, how are you, my man? I'm great, Matt. How you doing? You know, this is one of those rare weeks, at least it feels rare over the last year or so, where we get to break down and recap a Giants win Holy as they wrap up their Texas two-step <laughs> with a 27-22 to victory over the Texans down there at NRG Stadium. It had been a while, hadn't it? It feels like it's been like, you know, a couple of years. <laughs> Yeah, and, and really, they got everything going. The offense was clicking on all cylinders. It really started to look, look like the offense the Giants thought they were getting when they hired Pat Shermer. Saquon Barkley was a threat in all aspects of the offense. The defense took care of business in the second half, and we'll break it all down. But if you like the show, and we really hope you do, we'd love if you would subscribe on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Leave us those five-star reviews. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. It really helps us grow the show. And you can also find us on on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Just about anywhere you can get a podcast. So if you, if you like what you hear, we'd love if you would subscribe and leave us those reviews. Uh, Steve, before we get completely into it, just give me your big picture thoughts and takeaways from Sunday's game. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the big picture was this was what the offense is supposed to look like, or at least closer to what the Giants hoped this was going to look like. Uh, that's that's part one. When you've got you've got Saquon Barkley running the ball well, you've got Odell Beckham catch catching 100 yards worth of, of passes, and you've got Eli Manning. You know, finally, this is for everyone who has lined up to defend Eli Manning and say, oh, he could be fine if you protect him and you know give him a chance, give him some weapons. Well, here you go. This was the evidence they wanted. 29, uh, 29 passes, 25 completions, uh, efficient in the red zone, throwing the ball into tight windows. I mean, it was hard not to watch that and say, okay, is this the starting point of something we expected to see from this offense? Yeah, no, I agree with that. And a couple things, you mentioned the red zone efficiency. He was four for four with a touchdown in the red zone from a passing standpoint. Doesn't get much better than that. Eli finishes with a QB rating of 132.3. Uh, you, you mentioned the 25 to 29 completions, 297 yards, two scores, but maybe even more importantly, no interceptions, no turnovers from Eli Manning. So a turnover-free performance, something you can build on. And I think that the two things that really unlock this offense, and I wrote about it 
Monday morning on the site, Steve, it was the balance. You look at the 29 passing attempts, 27 rushes, 17 of them go to Barkley, who averaged 4.8 yards per attempt. Wayne Gallman ran the ball six times, averaged 4.2 yards per attempt. That tells me two things. Number one, you're starting to get the running game going, but more importantly, and we'll touch on this in a big way as the podcast rolls along here, but the offensive line with Eric Flowers out and you bring Chad Wheeler in at right tackle. They started to really impose their will on the Texans front seven, which is pretty good. You might've heard and had a pretty good game, but at least in the ground game, the offensive line kind of had their way with that Texans front. Right. Yeah. And then could you imagine if all, all the things they tried to change to get this offense to work? That's all they had to do was put in Chad Wheeler and take out Flowers. That's it. I mean, I know I know I know Wheeler had some tr- struggles in the second half against J.J. Watt. Obviously, a lot of guys are going to have struggles, but certainly it seemed like from a chemistry standpoint, the offensive line was much better. Uh, you know, another thing I liked is when, you know, Deshaun Watson rallied Houston, as you expected. Uh, they cut the they cut the lead to five. You're like, all right, what is this offense going to do? It's been in the shell the entire second half. And then, you know, you saw Eli Manning six for six on uh, a touchdown drive, you know, throwing on third down, a a long pass to Saquon Barkley to set up the touchdown. I mean, I think that was another positive sign. Like, okay, they needed a touchdown there to put this game away. And they went down the field and got it. So that that was that was a really a good uh, that was a good uh, sign as well for this team. Yep, no doubt about it. And I think what really opened up the playbook for the Giants, and even though they kind of scaled back what they were doing and and went with what's worked and what the players like throughout the week and through the first three weeks, is Pat Shermer got Eli Manning rolling out and throwing on the run. I wrote about it Sunday after the game, talked to Pat Shermer about it, to Eli Manning about it, a couple of the offensive linemen. And while that sounds like a small adjustment, I think it paid big dividends because it helped Eli to manipulate the pocket a little bit, see the field from a different angle, angle as he was making his throws and kind of got him out of that quote unquote sitting duck posture with an offensive line that allowed six sacks and two quarterback hits the week before. So the fact that they got Eli rolling out and throwing on the run, I think that that was a, a huge change for the Giants and it paid off in a big way. Yeah, and, and a good sign for the coaching staff. You know, I mean, we're looking. Remember last year, you know, Ben McAdoo. I mean, no matter how much this offense struggled, he was sending out the same eleven, per, 11 personnel, sending out the same formation. You know, just it's inability or unwillingness. To, to change things, to shake things up. All right, well, here here you are in, in, in week three. The Giants needed the win. The offense wasn't producing the way it, that Pat Shermer had expected. He changed something. I mean, you wanna, you almost want to you know, shed a tear if you're a Giants fan. Like, okay, the coach realized it wasn't working, tried something different, and, you know, finally they get some results. Now, I think, you know, the big thing for me is, all right, is this the outlier game, or are we looking at – this is the finally this is the offense that it's going to be this way for a few weeks. I mean, Eli Manning did have a couple of good games last year. I mean, I, I think about the Eagles game late in the season that the Giants yep. used over and over again about, well, remember how Eli played against the Eagles? You know, it was well, like let's the, also the rally remember crack. about that one game. You have an Eagles team that's road weary from spending 10 straight days between the game in Seattle, practicing for a week right. in Los Angeles, playing the Rams. And it was also their first game without Carson Wentz. So that there were going to be some growing pains for that Eagles team in that game. And listen, I give Eli Manning a lot of credit for what he did in the first half. And he put up some really big numbers, well over 350 yards passing, but the Giants lost the game. Right. They did lose the game. Yes. But, but the, that, that one effort was sort of held up as the, you know, this is like the first thing Dave Gettleman said at his press conference essentially was, well, look what, look what Eli did against the Eagles. Uh, you know, I just, I just, 
a caution against this, you know, jumping to the conclusion that, okay, all of a sudden they're back. The offense is back. The old man, 37 year old, here we go. I want to see it against the saints. Now. I mean, the saints yep. offense, the saints defense gave up 37 points to the Falcons. I want to see it for a couple of weeks in a row, you know, give me, uh, give me a sign that, all right, this is not the aberration that this is going to be the norm. No, and I think you're absolutely right. And I think the way that it becomes the norm is copying your game plan from this week, running the ball effectively, trying to give your offensive line the chance to gel and continue to get some continuity. Because listen, you're not just breaking in Chad Wheeler. This was also John Greco's first start this season mm-hmm. at center. So you had two new offensive linemen on the road in a pretty hostile and loud environment against a front seven that has J.J. Watt, Devion Clowney, and D.J. Reader. And I know that J.J. Watt ended up with three sacks. I know the Texans wound up getting four sacks of Eli Manning by the end of the game, but I thought this was probably as close to a signature performance of this offensive line has had all year. And I think that moving ahead to week two, and we're going to get into that later in the week on the podcast, replicating a game plan that features Saquon Barkley heavily and, and gets Eli Manning throwing on the run is the best way to do that offensive line a favor so they can continue growing, gelling and getting better. Yeah, I thought that that Saquon really did set the tone, especially in the first quarter when you know all right, this is this is you know the, this is the running back the Giants thought they were getting. They, he was he was make he was turning uh, small holes in the 15 yard gains. He scored on a beautiful touchdown run, uh, you know, and, and, and as opposed to the game against Dallas where the balance was just too far in the other direction toward the pass. Uh, you know, I think that was very important, and I, I, I and against the you know a subpar Saints defense is going to be important again. Yeah, and you brought up Saquon Barkley, and I think that he's been as advertised or better for what the Giants expected to be getting out of the number two pick in the draft. He had 117 all-purpose yards on Sunday afternoon, yards from scrimmage, that is. And for the season, he's now on pace for over 1,882 yards from scrimmage and 10 total touchdowns. And I think that if you told the Giants when they made that selection that that's what you'd be getting in a rookie running back, they'd be pretty excited about that. And so far, he's delivered. It's (laughs) season and a lot can happen but from what you've seen so far i think this is exactly what the giants hope they were getting i saw somewhere he's also on pace to break Anquan Bolden's record for receptions as a rookie. <laughs> I mean, that's something that I don't think the Giants would have expected going in. I mean, that's incredible. Uh, so, I mean, that, that obviously they had 16 uh, two weeks ago against Dallas, and that, that kind of will bring up the numbers a little bit. And I don't think they're going to throw to him that often, but still, he's doing everything they've asked. He's been, and I, what I love too, Matt, and this is like a small thing, maybe, you know, the fans might have noticed it, but he scores that touchdown. You know, there's no big celebration. There's no, you know, come look at me. It's right. just toss the ball back to the re- referee, run, run back to the sideline. I mean, it's just professionalism that is uh, beyond his years. Every time he gives an interview, he represents the organization well. Uh, I mean, there's just a lot to like about him both on and off the field. Yep, I've seen him hand the ball to the refs quite a few times during his uh, college <laughs> career. But you look at the numbers so far, and this is what kind of astounds me. He's averaging 4.7 yards per carry. And you know that I'm as bullish as anybody on Saquon Barkley, but I, I, I'm i even impressed given the offensive line play and the fact that his first four carries of the game against the Jaguars back in the opener, he was averaging uh, less than a yard and a half behind the line of scrimmage before contact. <laughs> the fact that he's turned that into 4.7 yards per attempt through three games and he's averaging six and a half yards per reception, that's, that's fairly impressive. And, and to me, if the Giants offensive line continues to get better, I think the ceiling goes higher and higher, not only for the entire offense, but the production you might get out of Barkley this season. 
so here's my concern. Is he going to make it through this year healthy? I mean, he's already – he missed a couple of – he missed a series with a knee injury. He's, he's been dinged up a lot. He's getting a lot of work, uh, you know, amidst the soreness. Uh, he's a strong – obviously a strong physical physical kid. Uh, I mean, is he going to make it through if this is the current thing? I mean, that, that that is a real concern, I guess, from any running back. But when you've got this level of workload and you're still 21 years old, I, that, that's the one – that's the one thing that gives me pause. Yeah, and I think that the way the Texans handled it, I mean, there there was a lot of talk about the low tackles on Ingram Mm -hmm. and on Saquon Barkley. Ingram, uh, of course, the sprained MCL, he's week to week, probably going to be a three to five week injury, I think, based on, you know, you know, the past history of that particular injury. Saquon had the knee injury where you pointed out that he missed a series. If that's going to be the game plan and the formula, I don't know how you guard against that. But if you're a defender, I think that that's kind of how you have to approach tackling Saquon. I, I don't advocate tackling low on anybody or making dirty hits, but he's just such a strong runner that if you go high, He's going to plow through you or bounce off of you because he's so yeah. strong. He'll run around you. We saw that a couple Correct. times. I mean, he's so fast too. So yeah, so yeah. I think that, that 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 might be the one concern that if teams continue to go low and cut him and, and and go helmet to leg, that's where you might get that injury concern for Saquon Barkley moving forward. Right, absolutely, and that and that is the one thing with again the concern with drafting a running back at number two. We've talked about a lot of different permutations of that. Is that there is a shelf life and there's a concern for that. Yep. Uh, And the big news, of course, broke well before the game on Sunday, and that was the benching of Eric Flowers. We touched on it a little bit uh, in terms of how much better the offensive line played and and, and what a key role that played in the rest of the offense, having a pretty big performance where they churn out, uh, you know, well over 400 yards of total offense. Um, To me, I think this took a lot of guts on Pat Shermer's part, because as we said, you're, you're breaking in a new center, which is arguably the second most important position on the offensive line behind left tackle because we talked about it last week. You have to deal with calling out the offensive line signals, the blocking schemes, the opposing defense. And oh, by the way, you got to get the quarterback center exchange right before the game Mm -hmm. starts. And you're doing this on the road against DJ Reader, who had two sacks the week before in a loud environment. And they pulled the plug on Flowers and they put Chad Wheeler in there. And I know that he struggled and had his hands full with J.J. Watt. Not, not many people don't, but I thought he played well. And I think that there, there's probably a chance here that barring a significant injury, Giants fans aren't going to see Eric Flowers take the field again the rest of the season or the rest of his time in his career. I agree that it was the right move and it was you know, a, a, a gutsy move by Shermer. I still wonder, though, how, how they went into the season with him. I mean, we've seen there, – there's there, we've had three years of film uh, of proof that, that he couldn't get the job done. And, you know, obviously they, they, they thought maybe switching him from left tackle to right tackle was going to change things. And I don't know how that – you know, how that would have improved him as a, as, you know, as a player. Te- technically sound, he just, he just never quite had uh, what it takes to play in the NFL. And I saw – I wondered how they kind of exposed themselves to leaving him out there. But all right, so they made a mistake and they corrected it before the season got too far out of the way. So you got to give them credit for that. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I think that if if this is going to be the pattern and this is going to be the offensive line moving ahead, I think Giants fans can breathe a sigh of relief that John Greco stepped in and played seamlessly for John Halapio. And, and Wheeler was on the level and I think at times better than what Eric Flowers was able to give you through the first three weeks, first two games rather, before his benching. And, and another positive, Wheeler didn't have a flag thrown on him. He, he went unpenalized right. Right. through this whole game. 
and you saw it happen when you've got when you've got problems with that. And Houston had, I mean, was just a disastrous offensive line performance. Uh, you know, it just completely takes you know take it sidetracks your entire offense when you have that. Uh, and another positive, you know, I mean, we 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 criticized Nate Soldier for for his first two weeks. He was better too. He played up a little bit closer up to the contract. So overall, you're seeing better things from that unit. Yep, and and we've talked about this ever since February, ever since March, ever since after the NFL draft when they decided not to take an offensive tackle and they took Will Hernandez in the second round with the thought and the intention of starting him right away. These things take time. I I don't think there's any position in professional sports, let alone in the NFL, where time and continuity and chemistry is more important than along an offensive line. This was this permutation of the group's first outing. They, They passed almost every test. They checked almost every box. And the fact that they got better as the game went along, I thought, is encouraging for what you might be able to see, assuming they stay healthy for the rest of the year. You, you say chemistry, and this is an interesting point that I've actually wondered about. You know, we, you know, Eric Flowers has been a surly guy who, who you know, he, he was the first one out of the locker room after the game uh, in yeah, Houston. He had, he had no interest in no uh, interest. answering questions I, about his demotion. Not I can't all. blame him. None at all. I can't, some, of, some of that's fine. But I, I do wonder, you know, on an offensive line where you have to have five guys playing together if there's an issue there that we're not seeing now that the players obviously aren't going to talk about now but you know two or three years from now we're going to find out oh you know what he also he also was a guy that wasn't likable or whatever could be and i I don't want to you know i'm just wondering if something else at work here just beyond the fact that he struggled as a player what I found really interesting about the way the Texans attacked this line, I think this kind of plays into it a little bit. You think back to the Dallas game, and we sat there in AT&T Stadium, and it seemed like two out of three offensive plays for the Giants, and almost every passing play, the Cowboys were using exotic blitz packages and stunts that really mm-hmm. seemed to play on the fact that the Giants didn't have that chemistry, that they didn't have that cohesion, and the communication might have been off, and they really went after Flowers, they really went after the interior of the line, and Will Hernandez Um, And and it got ugly very quickly. I didn't see the Texans do quite so much of that. They just played it straight up. Um, They let J.J. Watt and Jadeveon Clowney do their thing. And to Solder's credit, he he really made Clowney a non-factor, especially Mm -hmm. as as a rusher. Um, But but I think there might be something to that, that, you know, the week before with Flowers in there, the game plan is let's confuse these guys. Let's play on their lack of of chemistry and attack it. And on Sunday, that's not what the Houston, Houston Texans drew up whatsoever. The possible theory, it's also possible that Houston isn't very good. I'm going to throw that one out there. And that's, we need to, you almost need to slap an asterisk on a lot of these conclusions with this. Because, I mean, it just looked like they were, they were, there were elements of that Texans team that I wonder, receivers wide open, uh, you know, just not taking advantage of, of the, 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 the guys they have up front. Uh, you know, the offensive line, obviously, of Houston. I, I just, I will say that, you know, this was by all by looking at it from the outside. And I, I haven't seen Houston, but this one game, but I say this is a bad Houston team. Yeah, I think it's going to be. And I think that Bill O'Brien might be in some trouble down there, depending on how Deshaun Watson turns it around. I know it's his only his second season and O'Brien is the guy who drafted him. But but I do wonder what his future is like if they wind up six and 10 with Watson not progressing from what we saw pre-injury. But one other thing before we move to the defensive side of the ball, Steve, I thought that uh, for all of the talk last week about getting the playmakers involved early on, getting Odell Beckham Jr. involved early and often, 
I don't think it could have gone much better for the Giants offense and, and for Pat Shermer and for Eli Manning and for those playmakers. Odell targeted nine times, 10 times rather, caught nine of those targets, 109 yards, averaged 12.1 yards per catch with a 30-yard gain. And Sterling Shepard, welcome back to the NFL yeah, season, seriously. Sterling Shepard. Uh, seven targets, six catches, 80 yards, his first touchdown of the year on that crit- critical, pivotal fourth quarter drive. He told me afterwards that it felt like a long time coming and like he might never get back into the end zone after the drought for the first two games but you look at those two guys they're obviously the focal points of the passing game particularly when Evan Ingram isn't healthy 17 targets 15 catches 189 yards and a touchdown um Eli Manning Pat Shermer they probably sign up for that out of their top two receivers every week yeah and it's the fact that he and Eli threw the ball to to uh, seven different targets and six of them, I'm sorry, to, to yeah, receptions to six different targets and five of them had an average over 12 uh, for an offense that, you know, had been dinked and dunking and dinking and ducking. I mean, that, that shows you that, you know, they're getting big chunks in the passing game. I still would like to see that. Are uh, we going to have that 60, 70 yard completion, that huge play this week? We we still haven't had that from this passing game. Uh, you, Do you, you need wonder, it, though? That, I, I, wonder, I mean, I wonder if it helps. You need it. <laughs> I mean, it, it certainly hurt. helps. It certainly <laughs> helps. But, but if, if you can get uh, Beckham particularly involved on a shallow crosser, which we saw a couple of times, and he turns it into a 15, 20, 20 yard gain or, 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 you know, makes a couple defenders miss and he's off to the races. Uh, the, uh, again, it would help and it would blow the game open and all of those things. But if you can efficiently move the ball in 12, 15 yard chunks and maintain time of possession, maybe from a big picture standpoint, maybe that's a more efficient way of operating. It's true. Yeah. But he's also turned those, those little 10 yard pass plays in 80 yards in his that's career. True. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, look, I've, I've just been waiting for that, for that explosion. He's had now two of his three games. I've been hundred yard passing he's been targeted a lot. You know, the, the, the Odell Beckham that you draft in your fantasy leagues, the Odell Beckham that you saw the first three years was a big play threat. And I, I guess we're still waiting to see that huge. Wow. Moment. Yep. No, I agree. Uh, let's move over to the defensive side of the ball, because I don't think that they've gotten quite enough credit for that performance on Sunday. Kerry Wynn was an absolute monster yeah. for force. The, uh, the fumble on Deshaun Watson, which kind of turned the game around in the second half when the Giants needed it most. He finishes the game with five total tackles. Uh, Snacks Harrison, Damon Harrison, three total tackles, or seven total tackles, three of them solo. He had a tackle for loss. But I think that what might have been most impressive about the defensive performance, Steve, that was the number one rushing offense in the NFL. They held the Texans to 59 yards, and they held Lamar Miller to 10 10 yards on 10 carries. If I if I asked you what was more impressive, what they did overall against the run or shutting Miller down 10 yards on 10 carries, which is the more impressive feat in, I, in I your mean, opinion? That that that's a t- that's a tell. I have to say that oh, just shutting it down overall because you also remember you have a you have a quarterback in, in Deshaun Watson who can you know who can who can the, probably the best running quarterback in the league or certainly one of the top three. You know after the way they struggled with quarterback runs in Week One and Week Two against Blake Bortles and you know I mean that that when you see, when you see big runs like that. The fact that they were able to limit some of that, too, also helps. I mean, the defense overall, I think, has been consistently good in three weeks. And, and you know, and they're doing it without uh, Olivier Vernon, which, you know, yeah. I mean, you, you're not you don't have your best defensive end in there. And you're and you're still you're still able to do this, I think, is has been really impressive. 
and on Sunday without Eli Apple as well. And we talked about how the point of emphasis on offense was get the ball to Beckham really and often get the playmakers, the ball in space. Mm-hmm. Don't just think and dunk on defense. The point of emphasis and the conversation point the entire week was let's, how do you fix the zone reads? How do you right. fix those right. quarterback runs? You touched on it. Deshaun Watson, five scrambles, 36 yards, average 7.2 yards per pop. But Steve, his longest run of the day was only 10 yards. And, and you look mm-hmm. at the 40, two-yard gash that they gave up uh, against Blake Bortles and the Jaguars in week one. You look at the 15, 20-yard scrambles that Dak Prescott had in week two. Mission accomplished in terms of the zone read, and this is another case where you did this on the road. Absolutely, yes. And, and you know, it, the, and remember, we talked a lot about how great the offense was. You know, uh, it, this this was a game where the offense looked like it was going to give it away. And the defense came came out in the third, fourth quarter with two huge turnovers, one Alec Ogletree interception in the end zone that, you know, when it looked like that not only that the Houston was going to score, but it was going to take take control of this game. Uh, you know, I, I like that aspect of it. I like the opportunistic part of it. I like the fact that, you know, they know they're not they're not getting at the quarterback, but they've still been aggressive. Overall, I mean, I think that Jane Betcher, new defensive coordinator, is doing a fantastic job. Well, let's talk about that Ogletree interception because I know you wrote a column about it Monday morning. Uh, but but I I look at that play and for all of the flack that Alec Ogletree took mm-hmm. in the preseason for being an absolute liability in coverage for all of his struggles against Saquon Barkley in practice for the big plays he gave up against the Cleveland Browns and the Detroit Lions. Uh, that was kind of a redemption moment for him. He was stride for stride with Lamar Miller. I know Miller got a step behind him in the end zone and, and Watson kind of underthrew it. But Ogletree made a hell of a play and he came down with the interception if they score there it it could determine the outcome of the game the other way but just how big a moment was that play for you for Ogletree and the rest of the defense oh I I think that was the I think the biggest moment of the game I mean you know for for him to come up with that interception uh, you mentioned it's just on what is of course a mismatch and a play that you know this team is not making last year I mean, you know, right. I don't, I'm not, not going out on a limb to say that, that they went out and they got Ogletree. They took his big contract on for a reason, and it was to shore up a linebacking position that had been weak for, you know, I mean, it seems several years. And this, the, and here's a guy who had some struggles with the Rams and needed a fresh start. And, you know, I think you're seeing that that he is a good fit here. Uh, he's an extremely likable guy. He, you know, he seems like he's respected in the locker room. What I loved, you know, I'm standing in the locker room uh, and you know, Carl Banks comes down from the radio booth. And, you know, I mean, the respect and the that Ogletree showed to one of the legends of Giants linebacking lore by just standing there listening to what Carl Bank had to say. Uh, Carl, Carl's giving him tips on how to, how to, you know, how to defend, uh, how to defend that play. And Ogletree listened and asked questions. And, um, you know, I mean, I think that I think that goes a long way with this with this franchise and with the leadership of this, uh, of, uh, you know, with the alumni of this franchise, when you see something like that. Uh, but overall, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think that was the biggest play of the game. And, you know, on a day that they did give up a lot of yards and they gave up a lot of passing yards, uh, at least they made the big, the big turnover that they needed to, to kind of stop that, that last Texans uh, run there. Yeah, it, was a, it was a timely turnover. Kerry Wynn had, had a turnover as well. Uh, you know, th- this, this is a defense that's been building and building and building. They only give up 20 points each of the first two weeks, 22 points uh, th- th- this week against the Texans. And, and they're in the top 15 in scoring defense, top 20 in overall defense and passing defense. And I think that once you start to get some of your critical personnel like Vernon and like Apple back on the field, 
there's a chance that it could just start to build. And I know the competition is going to get a lot tougher. You have some big yes. games coming up. You got the Saints at home, and, and for all of their struggles on the road, you still have Drew Brees and Alvin Kamara. Then you got to go down to Charlotte and take on uh, the Carolina Panthers with Cam Newton, Devin Funchess, and uh, Christian McCaffrey. Then you have the Eagles looming. You have the mm-hmm. high-powered Falcons. So they're going to be put to the test, but for at least for a day, and I think through the first three weeks of the season, you have to be optimistic about what you've seen from the Giants' defense overall. Right now, I'm going to give the butt just like I did with Eli. But we haven't seen enough. But I'm st- that's still the fact that they can't muster a pass rush or haven't done it consistently has to be a big concern when you when you mention these quarterbacks. I mean, you know, you're going to struggle against Drew Brees if you can't get pressure on him. You're going to struggle against Matt Ryan. You're going to have you're going to have Carson Wentz. You're going to have issues here. Uh, and I don't know what, what the latest on Vernon is. I mean, certainly he is a big he big component of that. Uh, they but they need they really need to find a way to get to get more pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And 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 we've talked very glowingly about this game, and, and rightfully so. There was a lot to like coming out of this win. Giants' first win of the season, they're 1-2, and two, and in a week-to-week league where you look around and you start looking at the scores and you see Minnesota getting, you know, sandblasted <laughs> yeah. at home by, by the Buffalo Bills of all Thank teams. God I'm not a gambler because I would be flat broke. Yeah, that, really was the end, that was the end of my suicide pool entry for the year. <laughs> see you later, 50 bucks. Um, but but you, you look around the league and you look at some of these scores and you look within the division and you see the Cowboys getting, you know, waxed by a very mediocre Seattle Seahawks team at best. Um, so there, there's a lot to like and feel good about because on any given week, any any given Sunday, any team can beat any other, as we saw. There are also some reasons to kind of worry about this Giants team coming out of this game. Listen, Steve, for as great as the offense was, it was dormant for close to two quarters from the end of the first half until the final five minutes of the game. Um, What what do you think happened there? Because rewatching the game on the flight home, I didn't get the sense that Pat Shermer got conservative. I didn't get the sense that things weren't clicking. They just couldn't move the ball. And I think the Texans did a nice job getting into the backfield and being disruptive during that stretch and forcing some three and outs, but that, that, that was that got kind of hairy there after halftime until the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, easy answer. J.J. Watt happened. You know, he started getting pressure. Uh, got to Eli a couple of times when there was just absolutely no, you know, no shot for Eli. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. Certainly, I don't think they got. How would you know? I mean, they didn't have time for a drive to develop with the three and outs. But yeah, I mean, that's a big. That is a concern, absolutely. And this, and we've talked about this ad nauseum. They haven't scored thirty points since you know last game of Tom Coughlin's career. So 2015 still didn't do it. And they had 20 at halftime. So you know, this, this was, I thought for sure, well, this is the week. Finally, this is going to be 35, 40 points, but no, uh, you saw the offense stall and, and, and in the second half. And again, that's just another sign that this is a work in progress for this unit. Yep. And I think that if you want to go one step further with that, we haven't seen the giants play a complete four quarter game through three weeks of the season because you look back yep. at the the opener there were some nice plays and they moved the ball down in the red zone once in the first half against Jacksonville came away with a field goal and, and then it wasn't until the fourth quarter and Saquon Barkley's 68-yard touchdown that they put points on the board um, the offense was a mess couldn't get out of its own way couldn't get past the 50-yard line for three and a half quarters against uh, the Dallas Cowboys until under two minutes to play Evan Ingram scores a garbage time touchdown but they jump out to the lead their first lead 
lead of the season. They scored their first first quarter touchdown of the season against the Texans. But as we said, they kind of fell asleep for those two and a half quarters from halftime to about midway through the fourth. Uh, that's to me that that's one of the things that I worry about for this team when they face those tougher games and those tougher teams. Or are they going to be able to put together a full four quarter effort? Yeah, and if they fall asleep against the Saints for anything close to that level, you would think they're going to lose by going to lose by a lot of points. Uh, you know, just looking at the box score from that from that Saints Falcon games, my goodness, you know, the the, the amount of uh, Drew Brees is just on fire. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I pinpointing exactly what happened. It, it's hard for me to figure out that they get away from the run. I don't know that it was just as simple as you know not being able to block JJ Watt and that and and that uh, Houston pass rush for a while. Uh, it's but it's again it's something else to figure out. And, and I guess the the big thing to take away moving forward is what what do you build on from here? Because to me it's the balanced offense. It's it's the defense against the run. Um, you, you need to start adding building blocks on top of that though, like establishing some sort of pass rush and, and like putting together a consistent dominant effort. Yes, and I think I think you build. I mean, obviously you build on. The, the way you created opportunities for Eli Manning to succeed, you, you build on that, and you put him in, you put him in positions where he's going to he's going to be able to roll out to avoid the rush to to make up for what is still, I mean, a, you know, it's still a below average offensive line. I know we've talked a lot about you know the improvements of it, but it's still going to be. I mean, he's not going to have a clean pocket, uh, uh, you know, every every play like every like the, the a lot of Giants fans wish they it could be possible. It's not going to happen. Uh, so you've got to continue to find ways to, to make it a success. And I think, you know, you saw you saw that blueprint, as we talked about earlier. So let's do it again. Let's do it against the – see them do it again against the Saints. Do it again against the Panthers. So then you have more faith than it just wasn't a one-off, you know. That's that's kind of what I want to see when, they, when, when New Orleans comes to town. Yeah, I think so, too. And the way that you do that is you manipulate the pocket. You get Eli throwing on the run. You get him moving around so that he's not just waiting for the pass rush to get there. You look around the league, there aren't many clean pockets, right? I mean, no. even even Carson Wentz in Philly, uh, many of his plays are from scrambling or getting out of trouble in the pocket. You look at Deshaun Watson, uh, we saw it firsthand. He, he, he's at his best when he's throwing on the run, when he's moving around. Cam Newton, the same thing. Oh, Aaron watching that Rogers, game last night, Ben, ben yeah. Roethlisberger, Steelers. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm constantly just, under pressure. Yeah, even just sidestepping the pressure, right. I think, is, is big. And and I'm I'm encouraged by the fact that Eli was finally able to do that. Sometimes uh, as a reaction, but a lot of times by design. Yep, absolutely agree totally. Yep, and and I think that on Sunday the game plan has to be establish the run early, get the ball in Barkley's hands early, maybe rotate Wayne Gallman in there as a change of pace to to keep Barkley fresh, um, but establish the run and let the offensive line continue to gel and do their thing. We're going to really have a, a soup to nuts preview of the Saints game later on in the week, break down all the key matchups as we did last week. But before we completely close the book on the win over the Texans, Steve, who gets your game ball for the win? over Houston. We're going to do this after wins. We didn't do it after losses. Okay. I, don't, I don't think you give out game balls after losses. There are no moral victories here, but if you're giving out a game ball or a helmet sticker, who gets it for the Giants win over Houston? I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take the page from Eli Manning's book because I really thought it was a, you know, they, they, when they when they bring out those little corny clips from post game on, on Twitter, usually I'm not I'm not all that moved. Okay, well, everyone's everyone has a nice speech after you win a game, but I thought it was cool to see Eli step up 
uh, after the Giants win and interrupt Pat Shermer and say, the next one's for coach and hand him the game ball because <laughs> I think it meant a lot for Shermer. It was, a, it was kind of a funny, cool, you know, he, he big smile on his face. But I mean, you know, give, give the coach credit for this one. It's his first win. Uh, you saw something about him, uh, the kind of uh, the kind of guy he's going to be, but willing to make changes. Uh, I love them. This is another thing that fans can't see, but I, you know, he walked around that locker room even after the media was let in, went up to at least a dozen players as I was watching to, to personally congratulate them, give them a hug. He hung out afterward to talk to the media about it. it was the last guy on the bus. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just felt like that was kind of a, I, you don't usually give, you don't usually give game balls to coaches, but I'm going to give one to him. Yeah, well, let me, let me just, you know, expand on that a little bit, because I know that you've covered sports for a long time. You've been in a lot of different locker rooms, whether it's the NFL, Major League Baseball, college locker rooms, all of those things. I, I've covered the NFL now for five or six years for various outlets, right? So I, I've been around NFL locker rooms for a while. I, I was in the locker room when the Eagles won the Super Bowl last year. And this is I, that was the one exception to me when Doug Peterson gave the victory speech and all the coaches hung out with the players. And you'd expect that when you win a Super Bowl title. Steve, I've never seen after a regular season game, whether it was Andy Reid, Chip Kelly, Doug Peterson, any other visiting team that came through Lincoln Financial Field when I was on that beat uh, and I'd be over there for different assignments. I've never seen a head coach hang out in the locker room. And Pat Shermer did this on Sunday and walked around to every player, congratulated them, shook their hand, gave them some sort of word of encouragement or appreciation for the effort. I've never seen that out of a coach. And I think that he, he, he took on a lot of heat last week for how he handled an interview uh, with Mike Francesa on WFAN, took a lot of heat for not criticizing his players. But I'll tell you this, I think that plays very well to his players, that he's not going to throw his guys under the bus, that, that he'll shoulder the blame, he'll take the heat. And I don't think he really cares about the outside noise. And that's now one of the tenets that he's trying to establish about this new Giants culture. But it, it really kind of blew me away. It said something about him that I saw him act that way after that game. Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought he took too much heat for that interview. I really don't know what what he's supposed to what he's supposed to say. He's not going to be, you know. I mean, this he's he's got to be week to week. He's got to be even keel. That's how you do this as as a coach. I mean, you've got to you've got to keep it level. And I, I I thought he's been fine with his dealings with the media so far. And that's and that was a problem in Cleveland from it from all accounts was he was too thin skinned and he got he got uh, pricklish at times. But no, in this, I mean, I think he's been okay there. And, and I agree. I'm, I'm trying to think if I if I've seen something like that, I'm. Sure Sure, I have, but it really it just stuck out to me to the the, yep. the level of him wandering around, walking around that locker room, and you know the the, the happiness and sharing with the players. I mean, it, it if if I'm sure coaches have done it before, but again, it was just something that I, I noticed. And uh, you're right, I think it I think it does have to make an impact with the players. No, I agree. So the Giants win this one 27-22. to 22. We tie a nice bow around week three. Giants are one and two, and there's opportunity uh, in the division. There's opportunity in the early playoff race and all of those things, but they have to take care of business, have to build on it next week against the New Orleans Saints because even falling to one and three and staring down the pipe at a road trip to a well-rested Carolina Panther team coming off the bye, not to get yes. too ahead of yourself, it, it can kind of go back the other way pretty quickly. So you have to keep continuing to win, continuing to put yourself in good positions from play to play and week to week. It's, it's nice that you said the P word here in the podcast, not podcast, but playoffs. But if they, <laughs> I mean, if they lose, if they lose to the Saints, we're back, we're back in the same situation where we're like, well, this is, you know, we're barreling. You, know, you think you're barreling towards six and 10. You're not going to get there because you're right. I mean, it is a week to week league, but at one and three, 
you're going to Carolina, you know, Cam Newton with, with the, with that schedule looming, it, it can, with a week of rest. Yeah. And this can get out of hand pretty quickly. Absolutely. Yep. So, so we'll be back later this week to preview that game, break down all the key matchups, tell you everything you need to know about, uh, about New Orleans. I'm looking forward to that. Steve, this one was a lot of fun. Any other final thoughts on Houston or on the Texans game uh, before we get on out of here? You know what? I think next next trip, I'm disappointed by uh, by our lack of a good meal. And, and I know you had a steak before I got there because I was at the Rutgers game. But, you know, I we, we need to eat better on the road, Lombardo, if we're going to do this again in Carolina. All right. This is got to be a priority. I, no, I, I didn't get any barbecue in Houston. It was a complete, a complete utter meltdown on my part. Yeah, I, I, we will take care of business in Charlotte. Uh, I, I had a great meal on Saturday night. I, I don't know what you were doing back there in Piscataway, but uh, <laughs> clearly, clearly not enjoying a good meal in Piscataway. Put it that way. So, so uh, we will make it right, and uh, we'll w- welcome back Ryan Dunleavy on that trip. We'll do that the right way. Uh, we'll take him out. We'll, we'll we'll treat the father to a to a, a great meal. But before then, we have some business to take care of this week. We'll have the preview pod later on in the week, looking ahead to New Orleans. This was a lot of fun. You can follow the show on Twitter at TalkIsCheapNYG. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. Steve is at Steve Politti. And again, if you like what you heard, we'd really love if you subscribe on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. Tell us what you like. And find us on YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, SoundCloud, all, the, all those fun podcast places. But we're going to get on out of here. Steve, I'll talk to you later in the week on the preview podcast for week four. Thanks, Matt.